Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. Psalm 47. Um, it's uh, a, a psalm we chose really just again to sort of uh, express sort of the kingship, the sovereignty of God. Uh, talk about praise. Talk about worship. Um, but the real question that I think comes out of the psalm, and I think it's a significant question for a lot of us, is it's actually a question of meaning. Uh, where can I find uh, true meaning? Now, I'm I'm coming to you with that as a pastor who often sort of sits down. Uh, with various ones of you, now it's more phone calls or Zoom chats. And one of the things that comes up most often in terms of conversation is uh, people working through questions of vocation and career and really like, is the, th- is the thing I'm doing actually meaningful? Is, is this significant? Is it really something that is going to uh, last? Is it something that is uh, really going to connect long term? Like, what is the huge... Uh, value in this. And uh, what I want to just sort of dig into is that sort of need that we have as people uh, to find meaning, that need that we have to sort of find significance uh, in whether it's our career or whether it's identity, whatever it is, and just begin to sort of uh, find that. And actually, I think we're going to be able to find it in a beautiful way in this psalm. But some of the places that we look for meaning are, are curious. It's just we're talking about them. If you talk about different generations and the way they sort of operate, you know, the generation that sort of came before, if you were going to sort of identify uh, where meaning came from, uh, you could say that meaning comes from came from being good. Like if you're looking at what you're trying to do with your life, what you're trying to accomplish is to sort of be a good person. And the gospel is preached to you in a certain way so that you would come to uh, understand that, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm not good. I need to receive forgiveness and I need to connect with grace and I need Jesus to save me. And that sort of uh, approach to a generation that has at its heart a desire uh, to uh, be good. But when you try to preach the gospel that way to the generation that follows it, uh, they're not really asking whether they can be good or bad. That that good and bad is sort of irrelevant to the generation that followed. And the question they were asking is sort of, um, are you being true to yourself? Are you being true to your identity? Are you uh, being all you can be? Are you being um, a unique individual, unique person? Um, And so it's... uh, that kind of an internal wrestle around uh, around around personal identity. That's something that one generation wrestled with, looking for meaning in who I am. And then the generation that's following uh, largely, and there's lots of overlap, is sort of asking the question, how do I be an advocate? How do I find meaning in a cause? Or how do I find meaning in a mission? Or how do I find meaning uh, in social justice or in uh, working for a marginalized uh, group? Uh, some of this thinking is, I mean, it's just pretty common thinking. I was picking it up from a podcast with Tim Keller this week. Again, and it's just uh, it's just really uh, curious to think about that question. Like, where do we find our significance? The end result of all of this, though, of seeking significance in these places, uh, is that um, we ultimately are living under an enormous pressure to perform. If your uh, meaning is coming from your ability to be good enough. Well, that's an incredible standard to live up to. And even those of us who receive forgiveness and grace of the gospel um, are sort of still working under that framework 
we're still trying to sort of earn it all the time. Uh, it, again, it's weight, it's pressure, it's uh, something that's sort of heavy on us. If you're looking to distinguish yourself or promote or project your identity out into the world to self-actualize, enormous pressure to do that in a competitive marketplace of ideas and personalities and, and unique talents and abilities and all that swirl of stuff on social media and identities. Huge challenge for you there. Um, and so is that really God? Is it really God to have our identity found in all of those things? Uh, I think, of course, it's not. Um, and, and this is noticed by other people as well. Uh, a really important book written by a man named Viktor Frankl, who was a Jewish scholar um, and uh, psychologist who survived Nazi death camps. Um, who's in Auschwitz um, and lost his wife and lost his uh, dad and lost his mom in those circumstances. An amazing story. He had the opportunity to get out of Germany, but stayed to care for his parents, let his visa expire, and ultimately was arrested and went through uh, the camps and, and ultimately survived. But he wrote this book on a man's search for meaning um, because his meaning was in his family. His meaning was in his wife. And at the end of that, at the end of what he survived, surviving for his family, at the end they were gone and he still had to find meaning, like an incredible wrestle that meaning in just even those relationships wasn't enough for him. And he says this, he says, happiness cannot be pursued. It must ends you. So that means it must come from, or it must flow from, like mayhem ensued. Like it must flow from a situation. Happiness cannot be pursued. It must ensue from something greater than oneself. And he had a way of uh, sort of comforting himself and, and speaking as he went through his difficult situations. And he was often known to quote Nietzsche and say, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. He who has a why to live for can bear any, almost any how. And that's a real question for us. What is our true why? Um, and, and so the, the conclusion there is that the only way to find true meaning for yourself is not to find it in yourself at all, but to find it in something else, something beyond yourself. Uh, as Christians, we look for meaning in all kinds of different things. Uh, we think evangelism, discipleship, mission, justice, those are all things that we're passionate about. They're all things that are necessities. They're all things that the Bible commands us to do. But while these are good things, if we allow them to become ultimate things even, um, even they can become religious slogging. They can become things that we are doing to sort of earn our way to God. They can become things that we're doing to earn a position with God. They can become things that we can do to distinguish ourselves among other people to God. And we can ultimately end up slogging in religion in these even beautiful, incredible things. And this is pointed out by Reverend uh, Brent Russett. And Brent Young actually sent me this quote uh, this week. It fit perfectly into the sermon. Um, it reads like this. Missions contrary to what some people might think, is not the ultimate goal of the church. Evangelism is not the ultimate goal of the church. Preaching is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is the ultimate goal of the church because God is ultimate, not humans. When this world has breathed its last, when the scenes around the throne of God described in Revelation are reality, missions will be no more, evangelism will be no more, Discipleship will be no more. They will be seen for what they are, a temporary necessity. But worship, worship will abide forever. So we look at these beautiful things even that we do as Christians and that we, as a pastor, as a preacher, call us to. Um, 
they're ultimately not things that are going to last forever. Again, necessary, but there's a deeper meaning found in worship. And so I just want to just propose this to us uh, when looking at the question of meaning for our lives. When you're thinking about your career, when you're thinking about school, when you're thinking about whatever your occupation is, I want to uh, propose to you that your true purpose in all of that is to worship and glorify God to be a worshiper. And that's where ultimate meaning is going to be found for you. We're going to see it in the text. We're going to see it in Psalm uh, 47. Uh, What I want to do is take a second to notice the structure because it's going to help us understand what the psalm is talking about. Um, And again, when I'm talking about structure here, this is sort of like nerdy Bible stuff, but I'm not doing it to be nerdy or pedantic or uh, to do any of that. You know, I don't want to be a jerk face, right? With the scriptures, right? <laughs> we can be jerk faces, but, but there's something important here. And the reason I actually take the time to unpack these things for us is because you can do it too, right? You don't need me to do this for you. But if you, if I teach you how to study the scriptures just a little bit and take a bit of a ta- bit of time to do it, you're going to be able to get more out of it when you're reading and studying on your own. So it's worth it as a pastor. That's what I want you to learn more than to just hear me uh, regurgitate stuff for you. So I want us to notice the structure. There's sort of big sections in this text that we can uh, we can look at to understand how it works together. Uh, so first, we're commanded to sing and shout. You don't have to read all this. I'm just showing you the blocks. We're going to go through really quick. So there's two verses, uh, both starting with a command to sing and shout or clap your hands to worship God. Uh, there's another block here, and those are the reasons why you do it. So the psalmist gives us reasons why you do the thing that the psalmist is calling you to do. In the very center of the text, uh, there's a verse that sort of stands out that doesn't really fit in either verses. And in that is sort of this God shouting, God's sort of ultimate meaning where his glory is reflected or what we're called to do is reflected in what he is doing and in the very center of that verse is one word that I want us to notice and we'll come to it at the end uh, to bring central meaning and that in the Hebrew text is actually in the geographical center that word is in the very middle there's equal number of words before it and afterwards so the psalm is very carefully constructed to put that word there so I want us to unpack that in a second but let's just start right here Um, clap your hands all people Uh, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. Okay, so that's verse 1 and verse 6, the beginning of the two sort of sections, the two sort of uh, verses of the song, start with that uh, command to just sing praises to God, uh, to shout to God. I want us to just notice a couple of simple things here. Again, there's so much in the text, but I just want us to notice two simple things. Uh, One, these are praises to God. So it's directed to God, uh, directed vertically in our relationship. God is here and we're singing out to God. We're creating uh, a connection with him and us. Uh, we are throwing something in his direction. So there's a directed vertical call to praise. It's to him. So I want us to notice that, but I want us to notice that what we're doing, clap, shout, loud songs, sing, 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 that those are all auditory things. They're all things that the people around us can hear. So we could uh, worship God, we can pray to God, we can do all of those things silently, we can do them in our hearts, we can do them quietly, God hears us, he hears our hearts, but there's a command to do them verbally, there's a command to do these things in a way that people can hear them. Um, by the way, it's just worth noting, it's not just Bethel songs that are repetitive. If those of you are complaining about that, this is a nice repetitive psalm. But when repetition happens in the scriptures, uh, we're really picking up something that's important for us to uh, connect with. Uh, so we've got this vertical 
connection with God, but we're doing it in the context of people who can hear us. So we give him glory, standing between him and those who hear us doing it. So we've got this sort of place in the middle of the story where God is here, we're directing something to him, but we're doing it in a way that others can pick us up around us. So we're glorifying him. So I wanted to say that, I wanna just propose this to us. We talked about true meaning is found in giving glory to God. True meaning is found in this weird place of being in between God and people. In this place of being a connector between God and people, giving glory to God before the people. Our, our lives are intended. There's a vocation for us in that role of being uh, glory givers in a way that it's not just glory to him. It's in a way that it's observed and seen by others. And I wanted to find that a little bit for us, um, like praise, that ability to praise, to worship. It's, it's about sung worship. It's about, you know, you're walking uh, through the hallways and you think something great about God. You say, praise God. He's awesome. And maybe somebody hears it. Maybe that's what it's about. Uh, but it's really about living in the market place in a way that your life, your work, your ministry, your vocation is giving glory to God. And I want to say that I think that's really possible for us wherever you're at, whether you're in uh, advertising, whether you're in uh, recruitment, whether you're in uh, engineering, whether you're in school, wherever you're at, it's possible to live your life in a way that your actions and activities are giving glory to God. And we see this vocation to be glory givers among the people as something that's echoed again and again and again through scriptures. Uh, Israel's vocation is to be a light to the nations, right? We hear that again repeated in the scriptures so many times. Uh, we hear like what we hear in Psalm 109, praise him among the peoples, praise him among the nations. So Israel as a nation is given this vocation of giving glory, lifting God up, appraising him, ascribing goodness to him, letting it be known who he really is in a way that all the other nations observe. And that's true of the church. That's true of us. That's our, that's our vocation. That's where true meaning is for us in whatever of the things that we're doing that we might think are really for us, but they're not. They're really to be in a space where glory is given to God and people see it. So giving glory to God before people, I just want to note something about that is since God is everywhere, we can give glory to him anywhere. Finding that meaning, finding that sense of connection means that you can give glory to him wherever there are people um, before whom you can give him glory. So the meaning is found in that place where uh, people are hearing, people are connecting, uh, being a glory giver in the space um, of being heard, the space being seen. So there's a question then, why do we do this? Why is this? And the psalm answers that uh, in, in a beautiful way. And we're just going to tackle the first verse of those, or the first sort of stanza of those uh, that we see at the top. But let's just dig into that for just a quick second. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared. I want to just notice that first. That word fear is awesome. It's actually a verb in the, in the Hebrew. So it's like the Lord is to be feared, like actively do fear which is sort of a crazy concept to get your, your head around, right? We have a response of awe and wonder at God that's sort of a, that sort of fear that's like, whoa, that's who he is. I'm just naturally freaking out. But this is actually a verb where we sort of actively fear him. We actively uh, ascribe glory to him. We actively uh, hold him in awe. We choose to praise because of his otherness, which is really interesting because in this world, like our main way of evangelism is to, for the most part, make people understand that, hey, Jesus is kind of like you, like he's an everyday guy and he uh, walked and talked on the earth and he healed you and he touched you. And those are all really sort of awesome things about Jesus. He taught great things. He taught you how to live and we connect with that stuff. 
Um, but what the psalmist is saying that the reason to praise God, the reason to enter into this vocation of living sort of in between, giving glory to God in a way that people can pick it up and give glory to him as well, starts with this fear piece, which seems counterintuitive to us. But I think it does something really powerful inside of us, this idea of choosing to do some fear now. Uh, the fearfulness of God is actually a gift that frees us from fearing ourselves. Uh, the fearfulness of God is a gift that frees us from this sort of pathological need that we have as humans uh, to self-actualize, to distinguish ourselves, to uh, elevate ourselves among other people, to uh, lift ourselves up, to self-aggrandize, uh, to distinguish all of those sort of things that we sort of think we find meaning in, sort of elevating our own identity or being perfect or good or whatever. All of that stuff just sort of gets knocked down a peg when we recognize that it's not about ourselves at all. It's about a God who is high and holy and different and other. So having a high view of God and who he is is absolutely critical, actually, I think, to our health as humans, to our ability to live uh, with ourselves in right perspective. That's a critical piece of us. Uh, so this other reason is uh, we want to notice that he's the king over all the earth. That's what the psalmist tells us. So the psalmist is saying that giving him glory is, is one, it's just truth-telling. He is the king of all the earth, and you want people around you to know that. You want people around you to know that truth, to acknowledge the world as it actually is. And second, it's king over all the earth. It's not just my king. This is an absolute claim. It's not just uh, are the church's king. It's not just uh, the church in North America or the church in China or the church anywhere's king. He's like the king over the whole planet. And so we want to no notice that. We want to acknowledge that his kingdom isn't localized. It's ultimate. So if you want connection with ultimate meaning, if you want connection with something really, really big, you connect with something that's at the center, something that's massive, something that's huge, something that doesn't change at all. You connect with uh, the king. So to make that practical, you're walking down the hall in your school, um, which you used to do back in the day when you were allowed to walk down the hall in your school. Right now you'd walk down the hall in your school and you would smell smelly lockers because uh, who knows what's in there and how it's rotting and how bad it is. But you walk down the hall in your school and you see your friends and they're sort of doing nothing. They're going nowhere with their lives. And you're maybe sitting down in a class and you're like, I'm learning this stuff, but why? Like, what's the point? Why am I learning it? Like, why am I learning about functions? Why am I learning about uh, chemistry? Like, how am I going to really use this stuff in my life? And there should be an internal tension in you at that moment, uh, realizing that there's lots of people learning these things and connecting with these things in ways that are for them, in ways that are futile, in ways that uh, don't really mean anything ultimately. Because it's not understood by them that uh, the king is at the center, the king is the object, or the king is uh, on the throne in all of this. And so you want to be a person who feels that inner tension and stands out among your friends at school and says, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be in this location that seems futile. I don't know why I'm learning this. I don't know why this makes sense for me to be here. Except that it is a middle place. It is a place that is packed with people who need desperately to hear you give glory to God. Your vocation in this place uh, is to give glory to God. So you look at your functions, you look at your uh, biology, your chemistry, whatever you're doing, and say, I can do this work, not for my teacher. 
I'm not going to do it with excellence just for my teacher. I'm not going to do it with, with excellence for my career. I'm not going to do it with excellence uh, just to, to build myself up so I ultimately will make more money. All of those things ultimately aren't meaningful. But you can do chemistry, functions, biology, all of this stuff with excellence to the glory of God. To display his beauty, to display the splendor of the world he created, to display the splendor of a God who invented mathematics, who invented chemistry, who invented biology, uh, to discover it, to explore it, and to show the wonders of God. And if that's why you're doing it, not just to get a good career, then the people around you will see it, and they will see lives of worship, and their hearts will be turned to him as well. So you have a vocation in the midst of something that everybody else is doing for reasons that are futile, and you find meaning in the middle of it, because your vocation in that space is to give glory to God. Um, Notice this next thing in the text, for the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. So I want us to notice the overs and the unders. In verse 3, he says he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. That's, that nations under our feet thing doesn't compute. Uh, we, as people who have got, grown up in the school system, we've grown up and we think colonialism and taking over the earth and tromping on indigenous rights and all of that kind of uh, all of that kind of stuff. But what the scripture is really saying there is that uh, he's put the nations as something for which we are to give a care something for which we are to give a thought, something which we are to nurture as we praise God. So we praise God. Our vocation is to worship him, praise him, glorify him. That we have a responsibility to the nations that don't yet know that. And it's in that sense that they're under us. They don't yet know about the glory and beauty of God. And we carry the responsibility to declare the glory of God. Uh, before them. So there's a sense in which we can be a bit triumphalistic about this. You know, the nations, the powers, the principalities, uh, things in this world actually can't hurt us at all. They can't wound us. They can't destroy anything that's actually ultimate or actually important or ultimately has meaning for us. So we have in that sense that we're over them. But the real important sense in terms of how we're over them is in that we care for them. We're responsible to declare the glory of God. Uh, before the nations. And again, that's uh, that's a middle place, isn't it? Our place is in the middle. Um, we are underneath a God who is over us, and we were responsible for the nations who are under us. Again, our vocation is not for us. It's not our own space. It's not our own uh, self-actualization. It's not our own identity that's important in that space. We spend so much time and energy trying to seek meaning in ourselves, and meaning is not to be found there. It's meant to be found in the giving of glory to God. Uh, Verse 4 says this, he chose our inheritance or our heritage for us. And inheritance is also a great word to translate there. So one, we just find meaning as we humbly expect this vocation that he's chosen for us. So part of the reason we do this praise thing is because it's just what was chosen. He is sovereign king over all all the earth, and that's what he's given us to do. It's the place he's put us on the planet. As we're going to find meaning in just simply accepting uh, this incredible place we have. And this is challenging, right? We're challenging our uh, sense of self. We're challenging our sense of need to distinguish ourselves. We're challenging our sense of needing to find purpose in ourselves. But ultimately, we're going to find so much joy as we accept uh, the meaning that was chosen for us by a sovereign and mighty and powerful God. And just a note here uh, on the life of Jacob, um, 
he has chosen this for us out of love. He's chosen this for us because he loves us so deeply and so dearly. We are his precious chosen children and he cares for us. And so his heart is full of love towards us in all this. So receiving meaning in this vocation uh, of glory giving that ensues or comes from God and is chosen by him, it's bestowed on us, it sets us free again from this endless sort of self-seeking and self-actualization. So true meaning is found again in this place in between. I just want to keep repeating that. True meaning is found giving glory to God before the people. To God, God before the people. And I want to see this reflected in this center section, this verse that doesn't quite fit in either of the uh, the, the verses. And again, this is like listening to a song, right? This is like the bridge of the song that's got the sweet, powerful, punchy little bit of meaning for us to pick out. Again, reading the Psalms isn't like reading prose. It's not like, here's the idea, here's an essay, right? Here's the idea, here's the second uh, thought, here's the three thoughts in order, here's the conclusion, right? Uh, this is like a song. We find the true meaning in uh, this little bridge, in this little punchline piece. It reads like this, it says, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Listen, what we're seeing here is that we are following the Lord as he glorifies himself. He is God. He is God. The reason we do this, the ultimate reason that we live lives of praise, that we live lives to glorify him, uh, that we find meaning in him outside and beyond ourselves is because that's what he's doing. As God, he is the only one who would have the right to glorify himself. There's nothing else bigger than him to glorify him. There's nothing to lift him up. He is the highest. And so he shouts his triumph and he blows his trumpet because he is God, creator God, worthy God. He is worthy to be praised. But listen to how he praises himself. Listen to how he glorifies himself. And I would see this meaning in a couple of these words here. God has gone up with a shout. And we jump to John 12, verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So how did he glorify himself? He went up to Jerusalem and he let himself be hung on a cross. He let himself be glorified in that way. And hanging on a cross, he draws all people to himself. With a shout, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama thabaxani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that's the shout with which he went up to bring glory. An incredible sacrifice for you, an incredible sacrifice for me. He glorifies himself as the self-giving, self-sacrificing God, the God who is worthy of all praise, who gave all of himself for me and for you. And then with the sound of a trumpet, 1 Corinthians 15, 32, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So he glorifies himself 
he goes up to the cross. He goes up with a shout of sacrifice and he goes with the sound of a trumpet and ultimately sets the world free and ultimately the fullness of meaning, the fullness of purpose, the fullness of belonging, the fullness of the finding of your identity will be found in a resurrected body in an altered world uh, that he has remade and praise and worship and the glorification of God will flow through you endlessly as you join the throng of all nations gathered around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Ultimate meaning is found in glorifying that Jesus who shouts, who blows the trumpet who makes the world new. And at the very center of all, the center of this verse, the center of the psalm, and the psalmist constructed it that way, and we don't see it as clearly in our English. We see it in, in more clearly in the Hebrew. Um, the word God appears in the psalm seven times. Uh, in every case, it's Elohim, except for this one time in the very middle of the psalm, in the original Hebrew text, as best as we can see it. And that word in the middle of that middle verse, in the middle of that middle of the song, is simply Yahweh. The psalmist puts the name of God in the very center. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Yahweh with the sound of a trumpet at the very center of this is ultimate, ultimate meaning. He is that he is, 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 he is. If you want to live a life of purpose and if you want to live a life of meaning, if you want to live a life of significance, it has to start with being a worshiper. It has to start with being a glory giver in your school, a glory giver in your workplace, wherever it is, a glory giver in your home, wherever there are people who can hear and see and observe your life. Uh, you're called to let your life be directed, your efforts be directed to giving glory to God. That's where you're going to find meaning. That's where you're going to find joy. So lay yourself down. I have to lay myself down again and again and again and again. It's not about my voice. It's not about my career. It's not about wealth. It's not about any of this stuff. It has to, has to. Again, constantly calling back, me back to being about glorification of God. And when my life is attuned with that purpose, uh, then there's joy. Then there's meaning. And there's a real sense of connection for me. Meaning simply comes when we align with meaning himself. He is meaning. He is that he is, that he is, that he is. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.